Hi, welcome to the Sweaty Palms podcast. Sweaty Palms is a Belgium-based music platform that urges their community to discover and share new music and ideas from which relationships can be built. In our podcast, we'd like to dive into the minds of people we think have a huge influence on their scenes and surroundings, ranging from artists and promoters, passionate diggers, road creatives, and your average Joes. I'm your host, Eunice, an Android-based music producer, graphic designer, and apparently, podcast host. In this episode, we are joined by Michiel from Radio Mardico, the DJ and collector most known for his reissue label that specializes in rare, non-Western music from all over the world. We talk about why terms like world music exist, how important it is to visit a country you really know its musical culture, how some artists are more celebrated after death, and more. Hey, uh, welcome to the Sweaty Palms podcast. Today I'm uh, joined by Radio Martico, uh, Michiel. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. How are you doing on this fine, sunny, early spring day at the end of February? I'm rather happy that uh, winter is fading away, so (laughs) (laughs) You and me both. Uh, We're here early in the morning, which is special for a podcast because we usually record them in the evening. so this this day, this conversation will be very special, I feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you introduce yourself for the people that may not know you? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm Gil and I run uh, Radio Martico. Uh, Radio Martico is uh, mainly a record label. Uh, we search for uh, music from all over the world, mostly 50s, 60s, 70s, but can be other years too. And uh, we try to find uh, certain musical pieces that are forgotten or not so known here in Europe. And we reissue these records and we play them as DJs as well. Okay. Where did your uh, love start for unknown music from the 50s, 60s, 70s? Well, I've always uh, searched for music that is not that mainstream. Mm -hmm. Of course, everything started in the 80s, recording cassettes Mm -hmm. (laughs) from the radio with the voiceover of the radio host. But then uh, you evolve and in my teenage years I started looking for music that was not played on the radio, not that common, started even with punk, noise, whatever. But then, getting older, I started to be more into funk and jazz. And um, from that point on, it was an easy step to uh, go to more exotic music, I think. There were some record labels like uh, Strut, for instance, BBE, uh, Soundway, releasing music from uh, African music, or um, uh, I got some releases from uh, Turkish music. And uh, after a while, you start to buy original records again. And from that point on, it's an uh, endless uh, pool you're fishing in. So it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, w- what drew you to n- non Western music then, I guess? or, or uh what set it apart for you that that you felt like oh i I really want to start collecting this as opposed to i don't know uh funk made in in europe or somewhere Mm -hmm. uh, yeah it's it wasn't like a rational choice or something like that it was just something that grew naturally Mm -hmm. 
more and more and uh, with people who collect tropical music as well they have the same feeling that the deeper you get into it the more difficult it is to get out of it <laughs> <laughs> because uh, with more rootsy music it's also uh, recorded with mostly by very good musicians and so it never really gets boring so each time you play these records over and over again it's you always hear something new and on the other hand the fact that the music is uh, totally unknown here makes it more adventurous because every time you can fall in love with a new musical genre mm-hmm. and there's uh, unlimited records to explore yeah cool uh what was the the first country that uh inspired you to to, to dig into the culture and to the uh, the musical findings uh like uh, as we were talking about before off off air um i dig a lot of, of, of Iraqi and Syrian music because I have, have roots there and I wanted to know more about it and then I got really into that and, and from there I, I started exploring different things like friends showing me Turkish music, um, me looking for uh, West African uh, music. What was the, the first country that really tickled you in a way that you were like, mm, this is very interesting, I want to see what more is out there? It's a bit hard to remember. I think... Uh Latin music was the first uh, music because it was somewhat known here but uh, the first real digging trip I did mm-hmm. just go to a country to buy records was in Greece because uh, I've heard a few Greek songs that really blew my mind uh, but it was very difficult to find these records because they have different letters that's one thing and I think it started 10 years ago uh, you couldn't find hardly could find any Greek records on Discogs mm-hmm. except Nana Mushkuri, Mikis Theodorakis and all that stuff but the, the music I really liked uh, you couldn't find it online and when I contacted uh, Greek sellers through email um, it, they never never really came up with some records so we thought these records were super rare but when we got there we really found out that some of these records were very easy to find but i guess <laughs> greek record sellers are a bit laid back in that way yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh what what because i don't know a lot about greek music so, so what uh was the kind of greek music that that really that you really liked that got you to go to greece it started with uh it's the greek belly dance sort of party music actually but by going to greece we discovered more and more uh different genres mm-hmm. and then we found out that in fact there's a there was a huge huge uh, music industry in greece in the 60s 70s but this music was totally unknown outside of Greece. Uh-huh. So then later on we got more into Demotica, which is sort of folk music. There's also the Rebetica, which is a bit known here. Uh, but uh, it just kept coming. And uh, at a certain moment in the 60s, there were over 500 record labels in Greece, just to give you an yeah, idea yeah. of how big the music industry was there, in fact. Crazy, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Was the, the first... Uh, release on your label that you that you did was it also a Greece uh, a Greek one or was it totally different it was a Greek one but it was a shake 
So it was a 45 we did with uh, the first side, uh, the Latins, Habibi twist. It's um, Italians playing a sort of Arabic twist. Habibi twist, amore twist, Habibi twist, amore twist, Habibi asalam, asalam. And on the B side, there was uh, Alba Sheikh, uh, Sheikh they say in Greek. And uh, Sheikh is more like a sort of uh, mod beat uh, inspired by uh, the, the Beatles and all these bands, but the Greek version of it, a bit more exotic to our ear. Yeah, I need to go to Greece, I think. <laughs> really I would recommend it because it, uh, the good thing about digging in Greece is uh, when you finished a day of uh, digging, you can just go to a terrace and have excellent food and drinks yeah. in the sun. Maybe post-corona then. <laughs> I think right now it's not a thing that would happen. But oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Cool. So the first release was Greece, and then uh, you said you also have a very uh, strong connection with uh, Latin music. Um, I read that it is your specialty. Uh, could you tell us more about what uh, Latin music that you like, enjoy? Uh? Well, basically, there are, I don't have any restrictions when it comes to genres, but uh, for Latin music, uh, now I'm working on uh, some cumbia projects. So we're going to release a after summer normally we're going to release a double LP by uh, Lucho Bermudez. For Colombians, it's a bit like the national sound of Colombia. So he was the first one to modernize the coastal Afro-inspired music towards a modern big band jazz setting, let's say. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he modernized this music in the 40s, 50s already. And now we're going to do a, a double LP from the period when he lived in Medellin. It's the 50s, which is, in my opinion, and in a lot of other people's opinion, also his golden period. Okay, that's interesting. Well, I, what I like about Latin music, I, I don't have a lot of connection with it myself, but I see a lot of uh, young artists here who take a lot of inspiration uh, from Latin sounds and, and, and colors, like uh, Susobrino. Uh, if you, he's, he's, he's a friend of mine from uh, and greater Antwerp region who lives in Brussels. Uh, you should check him out. He makes electronic music that is very influenced by uh, his, his roots. He is from, I forgot you. Bolivia. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That was Kona uh, from uh, Sweaty Palms. Uh, he's from Bolivia and he, he um, for his first record, he went there and he started uh, field recording and then mm -hmm. uh, like going to his, his uh, the hometown where he still has family and like really getting involved into the life there, taking that back and then making his mm -hmm. own record. And then for his second record, he um, made an entire guitar based flamenco type uh, record where he because he studied flamenco guitar when he was mm -hmm. really young uh, which i think was like for me it was like oh 
very cool to like hear someone my age do that kind of music here and that got me interested in like listening to uh, different things more so i think the uh it's it's always interesting to see how music makes a full circle in a way things that happened 60 years ago coming back in a modern twist uh which is why i think reissue labels are also very important and and very interesting to take something that is in a completely different context years and years and years ago and putting it out again today and seeing it still works yeah, yeah. Uh, that's also the thing i like if i see that uh contemporary artists pick up uh, parts from the music because the weird thing is although it's music from 50s 60s 70s for it might be totally new to our ears yeah, and it can really change your mindset of how you approach music. So yeah, indeed, if uh, contemporary artists do something with this music, I really like it. Yeah, yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so you've been talking about uh, that. There's no genre restrictions in in what you do as a uh, radio Martico. Uh, I guess that's also the same for your DJ sets because uh, you're also uh, mm-hmm. aside from having the label, uh, you're also a collector and uh, and a DJ yourself. Could you tell us a bit more about how you got into DJing? Yeah. Well. I think it also started at a very early age. Mm-hmm. My first DJ experience, it was uh, friends of my parents who threw a party and there was a DJ. Well, more like uh, somebody they knew who had to DJ, so he was not a real DJ. And yeah, as a, I don't know, 11 year old kid, I think I went to DJ, hey, hey play this song. <laughs> It was not much action going on on dance floor, so he was, uh, he was like, oh, whatever, let's play this song. Uh, but it was a song with a very slow intro. So he was turning a bit gray when he started to play the song. <laughs> he was like, okay, get out now. I said, no, 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 wait, wait. And then after a while, dance floor packed. And I was like, yes, this is my mission in life. <laughs> <laughs> and then he told me again to leave because after I played a few songs there were too much people dancing and we were starting to look like an idiot I think (laughs) so from that on yeah I think for a lot of music collectors it's a natural thing to become a DJ because you you listen to the music in a certain way and you kind of feel what can work on a dance floor Mm -hmm. And so it naturally evolved, just starting in a bar somewhere and then the more you do it, the more you want to do it over and over again, I think. Yeah, I think the the thing with collectors, I feel, because um, I, I used to DJ a lot and, and for me it was also the love of sharing music that I found that people may not know and then mm-hmm. wanting to share that. Um, but after a while for me, I, I didn't really feel the love for DJing anymore, but it did not stop me from loving to share music. So I started mm-hmm. sharing it in a different way. Um, and I think that's a that's a very natural thing, as you say, that if you're a collector, you want to share and DJing mm-hmm. is a very logical yeah. output. Uh, but then so is running a label. And, but that's an also different because you can tell, like for me, music is telling stories in the way you perform or, or, or DJ or put out a release or even make like a, a, a playlist or a mixtape or that. Uh, it's telling stories in different ways, and and um, so, so that's what I I find very interesting about your uh, catalog is how you travel to a country and then try and um, find the story and, and and tell it in your own way. Could you run us through like how a uh, 
how you would go about like doing a reissue. Like say mm-hmm. you, you want to go to Brazil and you're like, okay, I want to yes. get uh, I have this artist that I really like. I want to go and look and see what, what else. That, how, how would you go about doing, mm-hmm. doing that? Yeah. Uh, well, thing is, before we release something, we w- really want to have a good impression of what it's about. Like uh, if you do a compilation of one artist, you want to know as much uh, music from this artist as possible. It's not always possible to actually listen to every song because some songs are just so obscure. But you, you want to have uh, the best possible selection. And most of the time when we go to a country, it's f- to explore more than just the catalog of one artist. It's to explore musical genres. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have to go back to countries several times. So the first thing we do normally on trip is buying a lot of records just to get to know uh, the music, but also because it uh, opens doors to get in touch with the people you can license from, to get in touch with collectors, to get in touch uh, with people who have certain knowledge about music. Mm-hmm. You have to spend some money to <laughs> get yeah. there actually. And it o- actually opens a lot of doors because uh, most uh, sellers, they have some musical background. It's not a profession they choose from a commercial reason, but because they're music passionate yep. also. So they always know people who know other people. And that's how it starts, just buying a lot of records, getting back home, making a first selection. And then the more you go back, the the more you understand the genre also. And the deeper you can get into it. Because, yeah, you train your ear a bit to make selections, but it needs some time also to really get to the bottom of a musical genre. So that's why some time has to go over it as well. Mm-hmm. And you have to go back several times. You build up a network because you have to find the people you can license from, try to find original pictures, information about the artists as well. So, yeah, it takes uh, a lot of time. Like thinking Greece, uh, we've been there for... 10, 15 times just to buy records and to negotiate deals, etc. Mm. The good thing with Greece is you can just fly for 40 euros with Ryanair. <laughs> so other destinations are more difficult. Like I've spent a lot of time in Colombia as well. So every time go for about three weeks, travel all over the country. So not much time for holidays, no. one or two days maybe. And for the rest, it's just buying records, getting in touch with people and finding out information. Mm. Yeah. Do you also uh, spend a lot? Of, so a lot of your research is uh, getting to know the genre, getting to know the artists involved. Uh, do you also spend a lot of time getting to know the culture of the land, of, of the country that you want to uh, release from? Yeah, that as well, because um, to understand musical genre, it's also good to have some background about some uh, historical context of how the music grew. It's also very nice to share this uh, on a compilation if you can give some information to the listeners as well because they hear music and they have no reference points. Mm -hmm. And then if you can say the music is from uh, this year, they use these kinds of instruments, uh, music grew from uh, a melting pot of different genres and you can explain the roots of the music as well. Mm 
think it's uh, nice for people to know. Yeah, I, I think I think as a as a, as a mixed race person from a lot of different backgrounds, I think it's very important to um, contextualize the music uh, because you're we would say but you're taking it out of uh, what the country is and then presenting it to an entire new mm -hmm. audience so you want it to be more than just this is music from there because then it also like it really feels like a novelty whereas the music is very important to certain people certain um groups of of, of uh, indigenous people or, or subcultures and i feel that it's very important for people from somewhere else over the world to also try and understand that in a way um which is something that I do a lot as well, uh, which is also why I don't like things like the term world music, I think <laughs> is a very dirty term to describe music that isn't Western. Yeah. Like I find it very offensive when people say like, oh, I play world music. I'm like, ah, no, you, you play music from this country or yeah. you, you, you this, or this or this or this. It, it just, it, like it devaluates what it is in a way if, if you get what yeah. i mean yeah mm -hmm. uh so, so i'm i'm very happy to hear that you also find that very important mm -hmm. that's that's uh that's, that's something nice to hear but which terms should you use it i mean <laughs> i think when this i had a conversation about it with um someone i won't name um just because i don't want them to get shit because it what they said was, was was they they also found that the term so they play they play music and a lot of it is like latin uh inspired things um and they're a, a white person and there's nothing wrong with it they love the music it's fine um but then they were like oh so like i used to refer to what i do as global music but now i'm starting to think that's not right like what do i do and i was like mm, maybe just name the genres or like oh this is a, this is from this place or this is like this influence from this don't like put like a big label on it I like i think it's good to have like some boxes for people to like kind of understand and find a thing but like a, a term like world or global music <laughs> devaluates the the reason for it because then it's like if you say like oh this is uh bachata latin inspired music okay cool people know where to go and look but if you say oh it's global music where do you start to look you don't know so like the the genre in that way and i was air quoting doesn't make any sense that the box doesn't make any sense no it's like the section for musical nerds or whatever yeah so. but it's 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 not because for a lot of people it's like music that they grew up on like why is uh i don't know uh turkish music just turkish music even though a lot of turkish music is like a big psychedelic influence or this or this or that and then people are like oh this is turkish music mm -hmm. now there's more to it than that and why does like every i don't know flemish thing has its own category and that's fine but then like turkish music is turkish right. music or african music is like oh this is west african east african that's it and i'm like no there's so much more and um so so i i think it's very important to to uh categorize and and talk about what the music makes the music because as an artist myself, I, when I put out music, there's more to than what you just wrote. It's the context of the situation, the mm -hmm. things that you feel, the things that um, your surroundings inspired you, the city where you're from, all of that makes what you make. Mm -hmm. So to just put out a song and say, this is world music <laughs> is weird. 
Mm. So, so I'm very happy that you <laughs> share that. <laughs> a funny thing concerning world music is, I think it was in Colombia, mm-hmm. I saw a box with world music, and they had a Edith Piaf in it. <laughs> <laughs> so for them it's probably, ooh, it's world music. Damn. I guess everything is world music if you look at it from yeah. the right <laughs> angle. Planet Earth <laughs> represent. Uh, uh, what is... Uh, Sorry for the mini rant. I just I think it's a very important and, and a touchy subject for some people. Um, but I thought it was important to, to bring up. Um, what is a release that you have very fond memories of, uh, specifically for whatever reason, like for the trip or for uh, getting to know the artists involved or whatever you could think of? I'm actually really satisfied about our last two albums with it because uh, our... Um in Atefariki, the double LP we did. It's a double LP with 20 songs on it, mostly from different artists, and it really gives a good impression of the Laika music from uh, that time. So yeah, Divine Reads with Tasso's Schalke as we did, it's music that is totally unknown over here and it's also quite obscure in Greece, although the musicians were quite known, the Chalkias family, but uh, these recordings were made on a private label run by the family, so I really like it to unearth music that is totally unknown and really can touch people. Mm-hmm. But basically I'm really satisfied about every record we've made up till now. Yeah. What, what is a, a, a country or a uh, genre vibe of music that you haven't explored yet that you would really love to get or dig into? I would like to go to Indonesia, Malaysia, Southeast Asia, these countries as well to get more music from over there. It's really interesting, also quite unknown over here. Mm-hmm. Here in the West people know like these beat and rock groups. Now there's a Yanti Bersodara ratio as well, this is getting quite unknown. But there's so much music made over there, like Gambus, it's sort of a mix Arabic, uh, Yemenite and um, Asian music as well and uh, they also made a lot of crossover music, Latin inspired and uh, sort of popcornish things they've made and it's yeah there's also a really big unknown territory over there with very high level music also. Yeah there's always this uh certain vibe in asia that uh seems like whenever you you 
peel off one layer there's like thousands more mm-hmm. um even when I, w- I went to japan a few years ago uh mm-hmm. which is a place i always wanted to go to for different reasons than music but then also as i got more into music i was like oh yes japan and and uh, special japanese uh, issues and blah 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 and there's like such a love for the music there when you enter a record shop mm-hmm. and then how the way people greet you or like look at you and they're like oh you're looking in that section i have respect for you and then you start talking to the people and even though there's a language barrier you get very like there's a connection that you can yeah. feel just because of the music and and uh that's not something i've had anywhere but in asia like that way whenever i go to a a record shop in i don't know france there's like this weird vibe that i don't really like (laughs) or or, (laughs) record self (laughs) (laughs) or or uh what was another place where i went in the uk as well not always not not everywhere but like there's always this weird um pretentious vibe sometimes not not, not always but and there i didn't have it it's just you walk in and you're equals to the person behind the counter to the uh, person buying records for five thousand euros to the little kid buying like one single that he spent all of his money on everyone was equal there and that was such a very cool vibe Mm -hmm. uh yeah i think asia is a very interesting continent uh music music wise but also the way they take music in is is very different yeah so i've been to japan as well and it was a really yeah, weird vibe because they wear these official costumes something we're not used to from record sellers over here mm-hmm. and they do everything with such de- dedication like opening a record it's you don't just open a record you <laughs> have to do it in a very methodological way and yeah yeah but S- ceremoniously in a, yes. in a way yeah yes but the funny thing about the japanese culture is that they're really dedicated to quality in a certain way like if you have 10 sandwich bars and there's one sandwich bar that has the best sandwiches they'll have a queue of two hours waiting and they just stand there waiting to get the best sandwich for instance yeah I, I had the same experience uh, when I was over. Um, so I went over in 2018. And um, so I was just there browsing. And then I got this message from uh, a musician friend of mine in Hamburg. And I was like, oh, I see you're in Japan. Go to this address. I won't tell you what's there, but just go. And I was like, it's around the corner. I guess I'll go and check it out. And I had to like uh, take an elevator to the 10th floor of this building. I got off on the wrong floor. <laughs> I walked into this weird office building. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is wrong. Uh, move up one store. Opens up. And it opens up into this tiny shop, which is maybe like from the door to the... This is the shop. And it was packed with the most um, legendary and rare synths I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I was like, what? Huh? no door like no name on the bell just like and i walk in and you see these two guys like standing they were fixing something they look at me uh, and start talking uh, so how, how do you know but it's like oh uh uh yan uh blah blah oh he was here with uh with uh, okay yeah i remember three months ago they were on tour yeah yeah cool nice to meet you blah blah check out stay here however long you want i was like okay <laughs> just like looking at everything and it's just like 
I didn't know what to expect. You walk in and then you get greeted with such a love and warmth from people who, like in that case, love synths, but also just like love music. And they were very interested in what I do musically and then gave me a lot of uh, interesting tips like, oh, you should go to this club or like this artist you will like. They're usually around that space. Go in there and like mm-hmm. go and talk with them. And like, I think that was my second day. And because of that, I met so many interesting people just because like walking into like one shop that I got recommended to and they just, they were like, go there, go there, go there, go there, go there. Super dope. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and that is not something that I usually have here or, or mm-hmm. in, in, in places around Europe and which mm-hmm. really like triggers me to go and explore Asia more as well. Um, like from what I hear, uh, the music, like I, I can usually talk more about like what modern artists do, but in, in like uh, Korea, there's a lot of interesting things happening with people who are digging a lot of music from years ago, but also like doing new and interesting things. And then, yeah, it's, it's just very, I don't know, culture really speaks to me there, the way they handle music, as you said. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. really like it as well, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Asia. By the way, you have to be careful if you go into an apartment building looking for a shop, which door you open. Yeah. I ran into a gay SM club once in Japan. So Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm happy it was just an office building yes. <laughs> for me. Uh, yes, but uh, the SM club is just next door to a bar, for instance, or an office or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's <laughs> that is also amazing and speaks to to the culture it was also not a notice on the door or whatever it's just doors with nothing on it so you just give it a try (laughs) damn shit (laughs) all right uh back to to the the thing at hand um so a lot of your releases have uh international renown so you're mostly known outside of belgium with your label as well i think um what is uh where do most prominent diggers or lover for your catalog come from i'm very interested in in that uh it's mostly uh europe and the united states um i don't really it's because of the music but very simple reason logistics it's easy to get your records in a record shop in europe or japan as well and uh in the us all other different countries are really difficult like we would like to sell more in south america for instance sometimes i have bandcamp orders but the the problem is one out of three of your packages just get lost <laughs> yeah. in the race so there are no distributors you can get in touch with so it's difficult to get your records there i hope it gets better in the future because you see in a lot of countries where there was not such a strong vinyl culture again Mm -hmm. or where the vinyl culture died or was just based on second-hand records now they start to look for these new releases as well Mm -hmm. so maybe over the years they'll get more infrastructure to get your records out actually so yeah to um the labels or or the original holders of the rights that you license from, uh, are they an important partner in trying to get uh, the music back to the original country as well? It's it's very difficult to... Like, now, uh, with my Colombian releases, I have friends over there who have a record shop, and they will do distribution over there. 
but yeah distribution is just from a shop and then yeah. they meet people and uh, it's not organized distribution mm-hmm. uh, and countries like Morocco it's very very difficult um, also we've tried to get distribution through Lebanon it's also there, there's not much infrastructure for it so we really try to do this mm but it's not always possible. Is, is that something that you would see yourself dive into more in the future on how to set up better distribution in those countries as well? Like if you would be able to grow very, very, very big, uh, mm. is that something that you would be interested in? No, I leave it to my distributor. Yeah. Use. They do an excellent job. <laughs> I, I always try to get them in touch because through social media, etc., you talk to people who have a record shop in some countries and then you try to set up local partners to work with. Mm-hmm. I get them in touch and they set it up. And I really hope to get it done like this because you actually want your music back in the country where it came from as well. Like uh, our first three LPs were from Morocco. Mm-hmm. Now the record culture really starts to live again over there when we first went to Morocco it was uh, basically nobody was interested in records and now that you see that younger people start to buy records again new releases and secondhand and that uh, new record shops are opening again in Casablanca uh, so over the years maybe there will be some possibilities but up till now the only way to get your records in Morocco is when we go there you take a box of records you bring it to the shops and that's it there's no other possibility for the moment yeah I think there's also a very uh, distinct way of doing things in different countries that we're not used to as as you said Um, but that's also from my point of view changing with younger generations Mm -hmm. getting more into vinyl and uh music culture as more than what they know um i'm trying to think of one example that i have i'm probably gonna leave for later but yeah i think that's a i think over the years it will get easier with the internet and with uh younger people taking more Mm -hmm. interest into uh music as a as a uh commercial approach i guess is is Mm -hmm. the more uh is the way I'm mm. trying to... Yeah, it, you need a sort of industry behind the whole thing to get your music out, actually. Yeah. So that's also a very important part. Otherwise, you just have to ship packages one by one and hoping they will not get lost. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, and that's also not fun, dealing with lost packages. And also, you need to have your prices in these countries because that's a problem mostly that if you have to sell through several distributors and then goes through two more shops that in the end your record will cost 40 to 50 euros instead of the 20 to 23 you pay here in the West so then it becomes really difficult for locals to buy it yeah yeah Yeah, and especially in in countries where uh, the, the economic situation is not as frivolous as uh, or not mm-hmm. as, as great as, as here uh, that's a shame because you really want them to get back in touch with mm-hmm. things that you find very interesting mm-hmm. of their culture it, yeah. 
I think that's the beauty of, of, of reissuing things like that is how an outsider with a love for a culture and, and, and uh, certain music can share back and it's a shame when the people can't get their hands on it then mm-hmm. yeah. yeah but I'm sure in the future that'll get better right. I have a lot of more questions but is there something that you would like to say that I have not asked yet Yes, please buy as much Radio Martico records as possible. <laughs> Where can you find Yeah, Take a sip. Um, in the meanwhile, buy more records from them on Bandcamp at your local record shop. Yes. Support your local record shops uh, in these trying times of covid <laughs> and even after covid still buy from your <laughs> local record shop uh how hard no really, let me rephrase that so um you go to a country and the first time you buy a lot of records get to know the people um and then go back a few times to like start setting up a uh yeah for a release mm-hmm. um how hard has that been in occasions like has there been an occasion where you would go to a country a few times and they would not accept you or let you get into what it is they do Uh, because i can understand that a lot of people have a very strong uh feeling about outsiders getting into what they do as well Mm. Has, has that ever happened or no, doesn't really happen. Of course, a lot of record sellers are, like, say, eighty percent of record sellers are a bit grumpy at <laughs> first. <laughs> but uh, in general, if you travel to a country uh, to search for music, it opens so much doors. Um, you meet people, you tell what you do, and they open their house for you. They they cook for you. Whatever it's. It's really a fun way of traveling because you you see a country in a different way also mm-hmm. and so much doors open for you that if you just would go as tourists you'll never get access to yeah. these parts of the country actually. The only difficult thing is to work with major labels. It's yeah. big bureaucratic um, organizations and if you talk to them about selling 2000 records it's just peanuts money although they don't have to do a lot of work but to actually get them to set up a record uh, uh, contract yeah it can take a few years (laughs) yeah i can imagine uh the bigger the structure, the harder it is yes. to find the right person. And yes, if you get an answer from them, they reply to your email after a few months. You're already very happy. <laughs> it's one toe into the door instead of yes. one foot. <laughs> yeah, damn. Uh, and does it happen a lot that you have to deal with majors or? Uh, luckily, not that much, yeah. but uh, maybe in future we'll have to do a few projects through major labels again. Uh, so, and yeah, if there's a possibility, 
we work with the it's always nicest to work with the artist directly but of course there's copyright law and also i think it's right that if somebody made an investment in the past in a certain artist they get their share as well yeah. a lot of people think that you always should deal with the artist it's uh, yeah sounds very nice this idea but i think if you would run a record label all your artists fail and then 40 years later they become successful you want to have your part of the share as well for the investments you've made in the past yeah that's part of the <laughs> industry uh that you mm. can't i mean obviously the artist is the most important mm-hmm. cog yeah. in the machine uh but can't deny that if if investments have been made and contracts have been set up mm-hmm. things will have to go that way yes. as well uh <laughs> are there certain artists that you uh have struck up like a very good relationship with in in the process of doing reissues uh mm-hmm. someone that you can talk mm-hmm. about like well a big problem we have is a technical one that most of the artists we've reissued are dead <laughs> so it's difficult to get a relationship with that yeah but uh, we try to meet uh, as much uh, artists as we can so recently for the Tassos Schalkias uh, compilation we've worked with his son Lucky Schalkias mm-hmm. so it's always very nice to meet him in Greece also uh, if artists have a deceased or are deceased already we try to meet their families sometimes so it's also for them it's also nice especially if their parents weren't very successful musicians and then they see that 30 40 years later some people are interested to reissue the music they've made they yeah they really appreciate it mm-hmm. and also if they see that not just these musical nerds want to reissue it but that people are actually buying the music again playing it uh, it's really good for them to see this yeah i think it, it keeps the spirit of the family alive in a way and mm-hmm. and uh i mean i can imagine if you're the son or daughter of, of an, an artist that never got the recognition he or she may have deserved mm-hmm. and then years later it comes back into fruition i think that that really does something with a person mm-hmm. on on such a deep level uh and and i think it like i for me it probably would like give a different connection to my deceased parent or or mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's a, it's a very beautiful way of of uh, mm-hmm. rounding off mm-hmm. a release. Yeah. yeah, and also if you are lucky to that they're still alive, it's always nice to meet them as well. In the meantime, they are eighty years old or whatever, so really old people. Mm. But it's funny, like you very quickly have a sort of relationship with them, and then they, yeah, you communicate through modern social media of yeah, course, yeah which is can be very funny uh, <laughs> 80 year old people use this <laughs> yeah the kind of things they send you on messenger it's sometimes quite awkward yeah uh what i uh, situation uh, situation uh, a thing that i experienced was uh, a few years ago i went to a concert by uh, ahmed fakroon mm-hmm. um who i'd never heard of before a friend of mine uh was like oh i'm going to this concert do you want to come i was like cool uh and then like i heard about like how he was never super successful or or not that successful and then someone found his music and reissued it and then he got like super famous like 
50, 60 years later, and he was touring like as an old man. It's mm-hmm. the, the color of his voice had completely changed, but it gave the music so much more charm, and it was so fun to see him. Like mm-hmm. you, you could tell, he really loved being on the stage in Belgium, uh, playing his music that he wrote 40, 50 years ago to a ge- to a different generation that like really loved his music and. I thought that was such like a beautiful thing how I love it when and certain artists get a second shot at a career way later like mm-hmm. when say the music wasn't uh didn't fit the time or would fit the future I think that's a very interesting thing because you can never tell if you write something and it does not work out today or like maybe 10 people like it maybe five years from now like a lot of people will like it or 20 years from now a lot of people will like it and that's a very beautiful way of reliving and re-experiencing music especially if the artist is still alive and then can also tour again with that record or 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 catalog from the past yeah that story we had with the abdul omari releases eh? he's uh we released this trilogy by uh, omari but um in fact, in the 70s, only the first part was released. It was a commercial failure. And then for the second and third part, they did some cassettes who hardly sold anything. And now, 40 years later, all of a sudden, people actually want the record. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice. Unfortunately, he passed away already a long time ago. So yeah. he never otherwise could have made his point like, you see. I was right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, ahead of his time. Yeah. Yeah. The the people then at that time that place they were just not ready for this music. It's a very interesting trend because there's a lot of people in in different uh, genres, places that are breaking through at a later age, but maybe have been making music for 50 years and then not always through reissues, sometimes through like new releases, but then people finally get what they're doing and it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. this man who is in his 70s makes very interesting music. Let's give him like a, a, Mm -hmm. a thing. And I think that's such a beautiful like sentiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's so much to learn from from th- those people who have lived a long life and then can share a musical journey that is very different to, I don't know, me as a 26 year old who makes music from a very different mm-hmm. uh, standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also interesting to see, like, uh, when people talk about musical history, they're like certain persons. They say he was, he made this style, he made this that, but. The more you dig into old catalogs, you really find out that everything is just part of a bigger sort of change, cultural uh, change. And that's not just one person who revolutionized a musical style. Maybe they could commercialize it 
better or they were just one of the best in the genre but you always find a record from a few years earlier when you say yeah this guy was playing this style of music already and yeah. the more you search for it the more of these records you find and then yeah i think that the the parallels and the, and the roots that you can pull in between records is, is also a very interesting one where uh, i'm researching a lot of uh, music from years ago as well now uh for uh the new record that i'm making where i'm like okay i, I want to dig back in, into what i liked as a teenager and where did that music come from okay and now i'm like in the 70s digging some rock music and then different kind of things and you keep finding more and more and more and more and you keep going back further but also back more to the present and mm -hmm. like, and finding all these strains and and like i feel like i'm a, a crazy person that's like drawing all these strings on my wall like there and and now it's there and then back to that and and this and this mm -hmm. and it but it's so very fun to find out how this artist inspired this new artist and mm -hmm. but the old artist is still alive and then is inspired by the new artist again to do different yeah, things yeah, yeah. it's such a so nice <laughs> yeah so yeah I, I really feel that uh what you said about oh a year before this person did that as well and then oh he did this and this and this mm -hmm. and this uh when when working on compilations do you keep in a certain era or do you broaden that out as well like say you're working and in a certain era of this oh, yeah. vibe yeah we we always try to do like uh to have sort of basic id behind uh, so you take music from up till now we've always kept until yeah certain period in time of course it's also because they do have the songs have the same sound etc and it's also the story behind it maybe that you can put it all together as in a certain context mm. but yeah never say never for the future yeah no i think yeah there's in compilations there's so much uh possibilities mm -hmm. i think yeah. as you said you need a basic idea obviously for a compilation to work you can't just mm -hmm pretend totally unrelated maybe you can but it probably won't sound as good uh, but yeah that's th there's so many possibilities in, in that realm mm. uh, whereas like if you put out a or this at least how I find when I find a compilation um, for me to like it there needs to be a certain curation mm -hmm. to yeah. it could be a sound it could be a vibe or it could be a, a, a common theme even that could be interesting enough to keep a record together and yeah so a good compilation is like bliss to me mm -hmm. yeah. uh so um like i said this morning i listened to some of your music uh yesterday and on my, on my way here and and i really like the vibes that you're putting out and i feel like i can learn a lot more from from digging into it more uh and i'm definitely gonna do that and i urge the listener to do the same check out radio marco's releases and future ones as well <laughs> couldn't agree more yeah. <laughs> um there's a lot more but let's not go on too long um something that i'm very interested in uh because you said that music and then doing the label is your is your job now full time mm -hmm. uh what is some of your uh biggest hardships right now what what is a thing that is very hard for you that i can imagine in these times 
there's a lot of different things but um just with the label like what what do you feel is is something that you would like to go easier mm. oh. Fact everything's quite okay. Just making more money would be nice, especially this year with all the cancelled DJ gigs, record fairs, etc. It's uh, it's difficult to. But normally, if the whole Corona thing ends, it should be okay to just make a living of it, and then I'm very happy, <laughs> actually. <laughs> so <laughs> after after Corona was the first country you're gonna go digging. Excuse me? What's the first country you're going to go digging after Corona? Mm, I, I really need to go back to Colombia and to Greece and to Morocco. Countries I've been several times already. Uh, because, like I said, it's only if you go back to these countries that it really starts to work well. So now I, in these countries I have um, my connections to release more stuff. Um, to yeah i know where to find interesting records etc and the short-term plan is to do after the bermudez compilation to do uh, at least two more uh, colombian releases we don't have a contract yet but we do have the contacts already uh, we have enough records so now it's just a matter of signing the contracts and then getting information pictures etc for the sleeve mm. maybe to add a booklet or to just write liner notes in the sleeve uh, but for that you need to go back it's not like you can just send some emails and hope no, you'll no. get the answers that, that's the thing with uh, most of the countries we go to you really have to go there to get things done otherwise but i think that's also the nicest thing and then people see that you're <laughs> that's actually the nicest thing so i get to travel a lot so yeah. normally in uh, normal winters not like this winter i can easily escape for a few weeks <laughs> to a country with a very nice climate sweet yes. <laughs> yeah also i i think that um people see that you're very invested once you go to a place uh and then you're there instead mm -hmm. of like sending an email um yeah. i've mm -hmm. also had the same when i wanted to collaborate with an artist uh like two years not last summer but summer before um i was working on my record and i wanted to collaborate with an artist from london so we we're emailing back and forth and it was very on the verge and then i was like yo i'm coming to london in two weeks and mm -hmm. let's meet up and yeah. he's like oh and then we met up at like this party where he was and i was like yo i'm so cool that you came here let's work just because i went over and he mm -hmm. was like okay i see you're serious now because you made the effort and i was like london is not that far but okay cool thanks yeah. <laughs> but yeah and and so i think also for like reissues i think people really appreciate you taking the time spending the money to go there mm. getting to know the people that you want to work with and then doing that because then it it feels so much more genuine mm -hmm. uh, it is and that's also the only way how you can really understand the story behind the music as well by spending some time there it's it's always difficult when you have to write something or say something about music because it's always a bit difficult, I think, to say something about a different culture if you haven't lived there for years. Yeah. So, like, let's say uh, 
boring politics here in Belgium. Like, if somebody from outside of Belgium will talk about Flemish nationalism, mm. I'm not a Flemish nationalist, but if they start to talk to me about that, I'm like, okay, shut up. Yeah. You have no idea about our history, whatever, so you shouldn't say things about it. And then that's also a difficult part in when you write liner notes or whatever. Certain topics are a bit sensitive, mm -hmm. like with the Greek music. Um, a lot of Greek music, uh, a lot of Greek people are very sensitive about the Oriental influences. So you have a part of the Greeks who embrace the Orient and a part who really wants to be more Western. Mm -hmm. How do you write about this? Or minorities like uh, the Roma people who play on a lot of Greek records. You have to talk about these topics, but me as a Belgian, mm -hmm. up to what point can I say things about that? But because how much do I actually know about Greek culture, about their history, uh, of how people think, what they've been through? It's very interesting, uh, circling back to what we talked about way earlier in the conversation. Um, about like the terms like world music and, and, and how to label things that you don't, like you could love something and know something about it, but as you say, to a point where it's not your culture, right? Yeah. Um, do you work with people to like help on, on that front? On like, mm. do, do you like say, I don't know, um, if you're working on a Greek release, do you, hire someone or go in conversation with someone that knows like yeah, yeah. from there that is yeah we would definitely ask for a second read by somebody who's local who's familiar with yeah the topics as mm -hmm. well of course everybody's in a certain way familiar but who might understand because you don't want to say things that are offensive to some people yeah although you might not agree with certain things but still don't think that if you're from abroad that you're in the position to be too judgmental or no. whatever. Yeah. And now with the Bermudez liner notes I'm working on, I have again I have these things because uh it's actually black music in certain way, the cumbia. The like the, the rhythm is basically black music. Uh but it was sort of modernized by Bermudez, made more suitable for the upper more whiter classes mm -hmm. as well and then yeah that's again a topic that's some sort of sensitive but am i the person to say Ooh, this is wrong uh, this was incorrect uh, it's a it's a very interesting topic something that i um obviously come in contact with a lot and have a lot of conversations about um where People ask me a lot in, in broader context, like, oh, um, like take Black Lives Matter, for example. People will go in conversation with me, like, what can I do? And I'm like, you can do more than I can do because you can talk about it to people that I will never reach. Mm -hmm. um, there are people that I will not go in contact with. And I think when reissuing something, uh, you will reach an entirely new public of people that the original artist never has, never would on mm -hmm. his own. So to 
contextualize that something is also not right is mm-hmm. also an important uh, part of what you do. Yeah, you cannot just ignore it. No, it, 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 you don't need to offend the original artist, but you need to contextualize that, look, this is like, to me, it sounds like a gentrification of black music for mm-hmm. yeah. more white audiences. You can see it yeah. like that. And, and but that's, you can also see it as modernization. Yeah, true. So it's a very difficult line to walk on. Yeah, and I I think you can play both angles mm-hmm. because you can say like, okay, look, this music was... And I, I think that also very much depends on the personality of the artist and, and the context where he operates or he or she mm-hmm. operates in. Uh, that if they took music from a different group of people that are more unfortunate in certain situations financially uh, uh, socially than that he is it feels a bit like stealing in a way but probably not from a bad uh, from a from a bad point of view it's probably done with the love for the music Is it right though? I don't know. It's that's not also not for me to decide. It's not for you to decide. But I think it's important to also talk about it as a label because it's it's a responsibility that yeah, you yeah, bear to to the, to the world. But I can yeah I can imagine that's very hard to do mm-hmm. because you don't want to step on anyone's toes, but you also want to do the right thing. Yeah, and you step on people's toes anyway. Always. <laughs> Always. Like a lot of people think that it's not okay for a label from Belgium to release music from certain countries. They call it neo colonization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what can you say? <laughs> I mean, that's also a very. Uh, it's a thing. While I was on my way here, mm-hmm. um, so I read like a few interviews that, you, that you've done and, and researched your catalog, and I could tell that you without knowing you are a person that loves the music that you reissue obviously mm-hmm. it's not i mean it's your job so you want to make a living out of it but you don't do it as a way to get rich quick because then you would not be <laughs> in the music business um and i think like the entire neocolonization thing is a is a weird one for several reasons one being um if you release music and you put in the effort to go to the country, learn about what the country is. Mm-hmm. If the artist is still alive, try and and, and, and uh, have a conversation with them, include them into the process, have, uh, yeah, try and make a fair agreement with the artists, the labels involved. Where is the fault in that? I mean, because then, yeah, like, yeah. to me, it just feels like you want to put out music that you love and then make sure everyone gets paid in the process. Yes. So I don't see the problem. No, me too. But like, basically, it's the artist who made this music or the people behind the record label. Mm -hmm. They decide who to work with. So they've decided to work with us. Yeah. But then certain people think, uh, because I live in this country, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can say it's wrong. (laughs) But maybe the artists or the label owners would be like... Who are you? What do you want? <laughs> it's a it's a it's a thin line. I yeah. feel I um. In this case, and I'm purely talking 
out of my own mm. experience in this conversation and how I got a feel for, for what you do things over the past hour. I feel that you're doing something from like what you feel is right. And mm. I think like you saying like, oh, there's certain things that I find very weird to write about because I don't know. That's a very good like way of knowing that you're trying to do the right thing because you know that some things are hard to talk about if you're mm. not from there and then you try to find a way to put it together the way mm. you should um so I'm, I'm i'm a fan of that and i'm, I'm i think that's a, a very good approach of doing it mm. also because you feel like i feel like you're the kind of person just from like my rant earlier on in the conversation that tries to understand a different perspective like mm-hmm. if i would not now say to you like oh i think you should uh not do what you do but maybe like look at it this way i don't think you're gonna be like no 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 you'll probably think about like okay mm-hmm. so like what did i do wrong or like how yeah. can I, I do it differently and that is very different than say artists who i mean i was in a discussion yet again I'm not gonna name names over an mm-hmm. artist who um went to a certain country, sampled certain music, and there was not a lot of clearance with the people involved. Yeah. And I'm like, that is wrong. Because then you're a culture vulture. Mm-hmm. Plain yeah. and simple. And but also, if you- these days, you can actually find, in 99% of the cases, if you want to sample something, you can find the people who have the right. Yeah. And, okay, sure, it's not always easy to clear things. I've, no. I'm also not... I'm not going to name what tracks, but there's also things that I've yeah, done in the course, in the past yeah. where I couldn't clear what I wanted to do, but did it anyway. Uh, and if it bites me in the ass in the future, then whatever. Um, but I think if you go somewhere and just like look at the culture, the music from like a voyeur standpoint and just take what you like and go home with it and then do your own thing, uh, that is super wrong. And that mm. does not sit right with me. But if you go to a country, learn about the culture, meet the people, try and invest in what it is they do and give back to their beautiful community in the way that you feel is is, is apt. Mm-hmm. By all means, please keep on doing <laughs> this. And, and uh, yeah. And, and there's always going to be people who don't uh, agree with that. I mean, yeah. even in me as a mixed black arabic belgian person uh i've been told by people who are like more black that i can't do certain things because i'm not 100 percent black or i can't do certain things because i'm not 100 percent arabic and where i'm like mm, but i have whatever like so there's always going to be people who don't fully agree yeah. but i don't think that's a problem you're not black enough to do certain things. <laughs> it's been said to me. Uh, there's, there's a being mixed is a is a trip as a person, yeah. and it's a big identity crisis at times. But I'm doing better. Michiel, um, thanks for this conversation. It's been very, very inspiring, and I've learned a lot over the past hour. Uh, you're a super guy to talk to. Uh, for our the question we always end our podcast on uh i think i'm gonna get a very interesting answer on, on this one um feel the pressure <laughs> no, 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 no there's, there's no pressure there's it's, it's, it's chill but uh we always end on asking our guests if they could describe their music as a dish because as an artist myself i feel that 
uh, food and music have such a strong influence on each other and and it sets food sets a vibe it sets a mood but so does music uh the way food is prepared the way it's served the same with music so we always want to ask what people feel like their their tastes in in music or their djs or, or their label curation what kind of dish it would be it can be one thing it can be like a 10 course thing whatever you want I think uh, it would definitely have to be a 10-course thing because <laughs> <laughs> I have too much musical interests. Like if you see our releases also, there's not really a line in it. It's Basically there is there's a certain feel in it maybe, but it's very varied. So it would be probably a mix of all kinds of different cuisines. Mm-hmm. But then, how you mix them, that would be important. And I would, yeah, spend a lot of time just making sure that uh, the different tastes blend good. Yeah. Sounds very interesting. <laughs> I'm uh, hoping we can share a 10-course meal yeah. while listening to some good music soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, Michiel, thank you for joining us here. Uh, we hope to see you soon. And I will urge everyone to go and check out your releases. Uh, I will also delve into them more myself. And, uh, yeah, hopefully... We can uh, have those dishes soon in a post-COVID world. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, make sure to subscribe to our channels here on Instagram, Facebook, and the likes. Let us know who you think should feature on the next podcast. Thanks to our partners. We are Various and...